I want to give three categories of Jesus' words for you today, that Jesus said beautiful things, Jesus said impossible things, and Jesus said terrifying things. And we're going to break that down a little bit. But my prayer for you as we begin is that as I speak, you would hear more than just my words. You would hear the Spirit of the living God speaking to you. You may love the things that Jesus said. You may be confused by the things Jesus said, or you may hate the things that Jesus said. But the truth is no one is left unaffected by what Jesus says. Oh, sometime back I was in a bookstore and in the bookstore I happened to come across some Hindu writings and being interested in religious things I picked it up and began to read and I found some really good things in there. I found some really interesting things. I found some things that were confusing but overall they were really good writings. I, I thought gosh those, those, are, those are helpful things right there. I've read from time to time portions of the Quran and some of them are confusing and some of them I disagree with, but some of them also are, say some good things. But what I've noticed is when I read religious writings from different places and then I read the words of Jesus, there's such a vast difference between the two. When I read religious writings, I kind of, I think, oh, that's good, that's interesting. Some of that could be helpful, but when I read Jesus' words, something different happens. Life explodes in me on the inside. I find myself changed and transformed. I'm challenged. I'm, I'm invigorated. Life comes to me. Jesus said an interesting thing in John 6 verse 63. He said this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, the words weren't just words. The words came with power. The words came with the possibility of changing you. The words came with a life all of their own. I want us to read something together. If you have a Bible in front of you or if you have a Bible available, why don't you open it to John 1 from verse 1 to 4 and let's read it together out loud. It goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. A profound metaphor, a profound truth that Jesus, in fact, is the word of God. Jesus, in fact, is the embodiment of all that God would want to communicate to the world. He is a message all of his own. He carries within him the creative power of the word of God that spewed worlds into existence just by speaking. He is, in fact, the word of God. That is why when Jesus speaks, he's not just saying things, he's actually releasing life and he's releasing potential and he's releasing the capacity to live up to those words just by speaking them. Life and aliveness has a voice. His name is Jesus. Love has a voice and his name is Jesus. Truth has a voice and his name is Jesus. Jesus, as I said, is the embodiment of all of God's communication to mankind. Jesus, through what he said, was expressing the exact will of God, but he was also doing something very interesting. He was creating within the world, within our communities, within the hearer, space for God to dwell. An interesting 
understanding of the Old Testament is that all the laws and all the things that are written in the Old Testament, you've just been studying Exodus, but all those laws that came through Moses, all the, the myriad of, of ways they were to live, what was the purpose of those? Well, you see from the beginning of time, God has been wanting to live on this earth with mankind. And all those laws were meant to create sacred space, were meant to create a space within the community that God could dwell in the same way. Jesus' words are meant to create in our community space for God to dwell, but also in our personal lives, in our being, space for God to dwell. They are, they are meant to bring a merger between heaven and earth, between God's presence and our life. Jesus said beautiful things. Jesus said impossible things. And Jesus said terrifying things. Let's look at one of the terrifying things he said. Matthew 10 verse 28, he said this, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. By implication, he was saying that there is a God on the throne that could destroy us body and soul. By implication, he's talking about a powerful God. To explain this concept, I want to start with this. My son is an avid, or he has been, he's grown now, but when he was younger, an avid Legos builder. I mean, he, he built the most majestic creations with his Legos. And his favorite was to build spacecraft. And he built them intricately, beautifully. I mean, they had, they had wings and they had bombs and they had lasers and they had everything you can imagine. And he would fly them around the room with great gusto. And one day being a, a, a diligent mom, I said to him, can I come play Legos with you? And so he handed me one of his Legos creations and I did exactly what I had seen him do. I took this Legos craft and I flew it through the air and we bombed things and I made those boy bombing noises and I did all that kind of thing and I turned over to him expecting to see him like just enjoying it. Instead he was absolutely horrified and he turned to me and he said mom mom that one doesn't fly that one digs under the ground and comes up under cities and bombs them from underneath. I was like, well, son, I didn't know that. I'm so sorry. But here was, here's the thing, is that he created it. He gets to define it. His Lego thing does what he says it does because he's the creator. And here's the wild thing about God is that everything you see, everywhere you go, is a result of his creation. Because he's the creator, he gets to define it. This makes him the most powerful being in the universe. And it means that what he says goes. It means the way he meant something to work is the way it will work. And so when Jesus said, and we were not to fear the environment around us, but we were rather to fear God. What he's saying is he's saying that the creator has a plan and the creator has a way that things work. And as we align to that power, as we align to that powerful being, then things work. Things go right. Things happen as they were meant to happen. So if God is so powerful, if God is so able to destroy us, if he wanted to, how do we approach this 
powerful, holy, majestic God? Well, the answer to that can be found in another one of Jesus' very terrifying sayings. It can be found in John 6 verse 53 and it says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff right there. In addition, remember he was speaking to Jewish people. Jewish people had laws upon laws that told them they were not to drink blood. That blood was just something they were supposed to avoid. Here Jesus is telling them that they needed to drink his blood if they were to have life in them. As you may guess, many of his followers turned tail and went the other way when they heard this. It was like, if this is the kind of thing you're going to be saying, we want nothing to do with you. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? They said an amazing thing. They said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Even this terrifying thing, even though we don't fully understand it, somehow we know that continuing with you and continuing with your words will create eternal life in us and for us. So what was Jesus talking about when he said this? Well, actually, he was alluding to a concept within the Jewish community, which was one of blood sacrifice. It was one of covenant. It meant that if you were to be in covenant with someone, then there would have to be a life shed and blood had to be shed in order to bring about a blood covenant that was to till death do us part. And Jesus was alluding to this fact that he was about to sacrifice himself. And he was about to engage in a covenant where he would be the sacrifice. His blood would be sacrificed so that there would be an eternal covenant between us and God. How do I know that? Because on the night before he went to the cross, before he was crucified, he made this statement in Mark 14. We can read it from verse 22. Or actually, yeah, I'm going to read from verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said, This is my blood. It is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Clearly, Jesus was not instituting something where we were actually to physically drink his blood. What, what he was saying in the previous terrifying verse, he was saying to people, unless you align myself with the line yourself, sorry, with the sacrifice I am about to give to the world. Unless you, you align yourself with that covenant, you can have no life in you. In other words, the only way, the only way to achieve life, to gain life, to live a fulfilled, engaged, life-filled life, is to be with Jesus in his covenant, in covenant with him, in acknowledgement of the blood that he shed on your behalf. We can only come to God and indeed to eternal life through the covenant of Christ. There is no other way. Having said that, we all try many other different ways. 
I don't know about you, but in my life, I have tried, I have tried many times to just be a really good person. I've done many good deeds. I've given away lots of money. And you know what? None of those things are wrong. But all in all, those don't bring me into covenant with God. Those don't bring me into the place of blessing in his presence. That, don't, that doesn't bring me the privileges of being his son and daughter. That just makes me a person trying to be good. And that's not good enough. I want to talk as we move on to one of the impossible things that Jesus said, which will bring a little bit more light on this is that all the other ways that we try to come into covenant with God, to align ourselves with God, to be blessed by God, are immaterial in light of this. So let's look at some of the impossible things, or at least one of the impossible things that Jesus said. Impossible. Jesus said this. He said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was obedience to that law I told you about that, that came about in the Old Testament. Believe it or not, it was 613 laws that they tried to obey. 613 laws. Every good Jewish person knew when Jesus said this, that the scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people around. They were perfect in their obedience to the law. And Jesus was saying, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. So if that's not good enough, what actually is the standard? What is the standard of righteousness? This verse is something like someone saying to you, the only way you can win in life is if you compete against Lewis Hamilton in the Monaco Grand Prix in your Ford Focus 2005 without an engine. If you manage to beat him, you're good. It's an impossibility. You know you, you sunk before you, you began. There is no way to achieve success. When Jesus was saying your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, he was saying this very thing. The rhetoric of so many religions is just do better, be better, get your life together, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, do more good deeds. Jesus' message is the absolute opposite. He doesn't, doesn't deny good deeds. Of course he wants good deeds, but his, his message is, None of that is good enough because here's the thing. Not only is God a powerful God, he's a holy God. His standard is his own holiness. His standard is his own holiness. God doesn't want to make us better. God wants to make us new. Jesus doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you new. How does he fix the situation? It's a beautiful thing. John 3 verse 3 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this, that way back when, when he made you, the Bible talks about how 
Man, God formed us from the dust of the earth and he breathed into us the breath of life and we became living beings. In other words, to be human, to be alive, means to be indwelt by the presence of God. If we are not indwelt by the presence of God, we are not really living. We are not really alive. And Jesus says that when you try and go about this life without God's presence, without being indwelt by his presence, you are like a 2005 Ford Focus without an engine trying to win a Grand Prix. You will not make it, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you are polished, no matter how much your driver is wearing the latest gear, has combed his hair just right, is can speak the right words, can do the right things. It does not matter. Human beings without God are broken. Human beings without God are less than they should be. Human beings without God cannot win in life, cannot achieve the success, the desires, the significance, the hope that is in our hearts. Another scripture that Jesus said, also in John 3, John 3 verse 16, you know it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to give us eternal life. I've described God as powerful. I've described him as holy. And that wasn't to scare you, but it was to, to let you understand that Jesus' words are beautiful, but they also are challenging. They're also impossible. They're also terrifying, but they lead us to the only solution that will bring life. And they lead us well to a place that we were always meant to live in. You were created, listen to me, you were created for holiness. Everything inside of you resonates, longs for an environment of holiness. Why do you think human beings are in an uproar when injustice occurs? Because we were born for holiness. We were born to live in the atmosphere of God's presence where holiness is the standard. We were born for that standard. Everything in you longs for that. And God made a way through Jesus Christ without dropping his standard. He made a way for you to gain that through the covenant that he made with us through Jesus Christ. We come into his presence clothed in Jesus. God is no longer seeing our faults, the things we've done wrong. He's seeing his son. He's seeing you as a son of the most high God. He's seeing you as a daughter of the most high God. We're in covenant. We're in alignment with that powerful God. Therefore, therefore, power is made available to us. We will live a powerful life. We do good things, but we don't do good things to be right with God. We do good things because we are right with God. The last, the last set of things that I want to talk about, the last set of words that Jesus said is the beautiful things. Oh my word, he said some incredibly beautiful things. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he went on to describe what your neighbor was or who your neighbor was. He was that person you come across who's in need, who may be different from you and may, it may even inconvenience you, but he's, he's the man on the side of the road that needs you. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said this, he said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Gosh. I've bought some things online very meekly. 
very trustingly. And when I got them home, all the great promises of how this gadget, how this appliance would fix my life forever have not panned out. And, and that appliance lasted three uses and couldn't be used anymore. I would have loved to have that manufacturer right there in front of me and say this, the meek shall inherit the earth. I'm getting the earth. What are you getting? Anyway, the meek shall inherit the earth. What a beautiful, beautiful saying. Another beautiful thing that he said, he said this in Luke 12, verse 32. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, God is delighted to give you all that he is, all that he has, all, he, all that he can create all of his power, all of his holiness, all of his relationship, he is delighted to give to you. Now these words he says, fear not little flock. When he talks about little flock, you must remember though that was an agrarian farming community. He was speaking very endearing terms. I mean, they loved their flocks. Their flocks were everything to him, to them. So when he said, fear not little flock, he's talking the language of intimacy. He's talking the language of kindness. In essence, he's stepping down to us and he's whispering to the lonely, I'm with you. He's whispering to the hopeless, there is good in your future. He's whispering to the overwhelmed, don't worry, I've got this. He's whispering to the abused, don't worry, I'm here for you, I'm here for you into all of your pain, into all of your heartache, into all of your brokenness, into all of your stubbornness and anger. He's whispering, I'm with you. I'm with you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. A large proportion of Jesus' dealings with us is to lift us up, is to lift our eyes to see the possibilities of what it would be like if we could come home, if we could live with him. As Christians, if we could, if we could perceive what he had for us, to lift up our eyes to that. You would remember when the Israelites were held in bondage in Egypt for those 430 years as slaves. I wonder if they, if you were to ask them, what are you dreaming about? In the midst of your captivity, what are you dreaming about for your future? My guess is they would be dreaming about being the rulers of a land where they could have slaves that would build them pyramids and bring them food. And, and in essence, they were dreaming about being Egyptians because that's the best thing that they knew. You know, I think, I think so often we are dreaming from a place of just our experience, what we know. And we're dreaming things far less than God wants to give us. I would imagine that when he said it is good pleasure to give you his kingdom, that you haven't even begun to plumb the depths of his good pleasure for you. I would imagine that most of Jesus' dealings with you is for this, to bring you to a place where you could imagine the excellent, the outstanding, the good, 
the magnificent future that he would like for you. So much of what we're reaching for pales in comparison to the goodness that God has for us. In conclusion, Jesus said beautiful things. Jesus said impossible things. Jesus said outright terrifying things. But all these things are meant to lead us to the eternal and now life that our souls crave. All of these things are meant to lead us to the eternal and now life that our souls crave. I want to pray for you as I close. I want to pray for those who are facing terrifying and difficult situations. Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching this, that they are they are facing some situations that they just don't know how they're going to get out of them. I want to speak into their hearts right now and say, you, you can be aligned with a powerful God. You can be aligned with a God who, for whom nothing is impossible. A God for whom words speak out worlds, who's a creator with his words. And I just want to pray into your hearts, great faith to believe that nothing is impossible. Lord God, I speak to those circumstances that they are facing and I command them to step to the side and I ask, Lord God, that you would set them free from those circumstances and you would bring your good life into that place. I want to pray for people in need of comfort. Lord, I want to ask that all the beautiful things that you've said would come to them. They would, they would hear afresh the comfort of the living God to them. And Father God, the pain and the heartache that they are experiencing, Lord God, that you'd set them free as you speak to them. I speak to those hearts and I want to say there is a God who has stepped down from heaven, who is beside you and he is whispering into your ears the goodness and the hope that he has for you. Hear him. And last of all, I want to pray for those who are in need of new life. You acknowledge, you, ha you, you have lived in a way where you have been trying to create a relationship between you and God by just doing good things. And I hear the Lord saying through these words that we have spoken, I have a new way for you. Come to me just as you are. Allow me to exchange the life I lived for your life. Give me all of your life and I will give you all of my life. So Father, I pray for these people, Lord God. Allow them, allow them to make that great exchange. Give them the grace to make that great exchange, your life or their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.